Cardology is now presented by Sardine, and I couldn't be more excited. You'll get to meet their founder, Soups, and some of the team later this quarter, and you'll hear a bit more about why they've caught the attention of some of the smartest fraud leaders I know throughout crypto, fintech, financial services, and e-commerce. Thanks again to Sardine for supporting this episode of Fraudology. I hope you enjoy it. Welcome to this week's Tuesday episode of the Fraudology podcast, where we dive into the science and study of online fraud from the perspective of an e-commerce fraud fighter. I'm Carice Hendrick. Welcome back to Fraudology. I really hope that you all had a great week last week. We decided to take the week off because of the U.S. holiday, but also because so many fraud fighters were really busy. And uh, we knew that maybe just having a break from fraudology or being able to catch up on a few episodes would be best for everyone. But we are back and I am excited for today's guest. I have back with me Matt Vega. He is currently the director of fraud strategy at Novo.co, which is a financial services and you know really provides banking products for small and micro businesses. You may have heard Sid Shaw on the podcast a few weeks ago. He is really Matt's other half and the head of product at Novo. And then back in February, both of them joined me on the podcast for honestly two of the most popular episodes we've had on the podcast. I think part of that is because of timing. It was a week or two before MRC, so it was a really good primer, uh, but it was also the topic. And I wanted to have Matt come back today to talk more about that, to talk about how it's going, right? So six, seven months ago, he talked about how important it was to have a strategy from the moment a user starts their journey on your website all the way through and being able to really leverage all kinds of micro data to be able to understand who's good, who's bad, and then be able to lay tripwires and landmines. And those are terms that if you aren't familiar with them, you will be soon because I asked Matt to kind of uh, reshare those concepts before going any further when we first started talking. Just a little bit of background on Matt Vega. He has been in the space for well over a decade. I believe on the first episode he was on, it was back in Oh man, maybe too early 2021. I didn't look actually. And he talked a lot about his journey and um, how he worked for a well-known three-letter agency within the U.S. government for many years doing signal intelligence and how that really translates to strategy within e-commerce as well as fintech and financial services, crypto too. And so Matt has worked for companies such as Instacart, Candy Digital, and Fanatics Digital, but as well as several others, either in a full-time position or in long-term consulting engagements that might show up as confidential on his LinkedIn, but they are very well-known brands. And really what Matt specializes in is advising on implementing long-term fraud strategies for complex business models. He's one of my favorite people to talk to about fraud strategy and really pie in the sky, right? If we could do anything, what would we do? Not only from a fraud fighting perspective, but just a systems perspective and a technology. And we really enjoy, you know, blue skying complex things together. And so we, we nerd out on a fairly regular basis, except for we're both busy. So it's been several months since we've gotten to touch base either personally or professionally. So this was a really fun conversation to have. If you did not listen to Matt and Sid earlier, the episodes are episode number 169 and 
and 170. Back in February 14 and 16 of 2023, I will go ahead and put the links to those episodes in the show notes, at least the Spotify links, so you can find them easily. They were really good episodes. And like I said, they were extremely popular. And really, they both put terminology on newer concepts for advanced risk stacks. So they're really working on these advanced, you know, if you had to build a bank, right? If you had to build a risk strategy for a bank that was responsible for providing financial services to micro companies, right? To one person companies, to brand new businesses, to small businesses that haven't really had a footprint anywhere. What would you do? How would you do it? How would you make sure that you protected your company? Those were all things that both Sid and Matt had to deal with and that they talked about in those first two episodes that were just so good. And so I wanted him to come back and talk a little bit more about that. And I asked him back today to, you know, give us a bit of an update on the strategy he and Sid developed. What are some of the cornerstones of the strategy? What kind of technology is needed for a financial services or neobank with, you know, what many would consider high risk users? How can those strategies be adapted to other business models? Why is knowing your your customer's good behavior and their user journey more important than knowing the bad and more important than knowing specific fraud vectors? And then we'll also talk about what lessons were learned the hard way. Uh, what traits and stress tests should you demand of a potential fraud vendor these days? You know, with lessons learned over the last several years, what are some things that you should do, questions you should ask, things you should look for in a potential partner or vendor? before signing a contract. And he was really candid and I appreciated that. Uh, we also talked about what are some deal breakers in a vendor relationship and how do you know early on or how can you know early on if this is a company you can count on for the long term? Lots of good tidbits in this conversation. I have no doubt that you're going to enjoy today's episode as you get to listen in on my conversation with Matt Vega, head of fraud strategy for Novo.co. Here you go. Today, I have a good friend of mine back on the podcast, and I don't think he needs any introduction. However, it has been several months since he's been on Fraudology because he has been very busy. But I've met Vega. He is Senior Director of Fraud Strategy for Novo. And uh, when that was last on the podcast, he was on with Sid Shaw, and they were talking about their overall strategy for building a bank, building a bank for small businesses. And so I invited Matt back to find out how it's going and learn a few lessons. So Matt, welcome back to Fraudology. Thanks, Chris. Great to be here as uh, as always. It's a, It's an honor as always. Well, so as I mentioned, I think we're just going to dive in because that's what we do. Um, yep. We can go, you know, six months without talking. And then next thing you know, we're, it's like an hour past. And that's <laughs> exactly. the best friendships. Um, but when you were on the podcast last, you know, something that I know really resonated with a lot of people because it was the week before um, the Merchant Risk Council conference. And so um, a lot of people were kind of getting their head in the game already. And then, you know, I think your episode with Sid was such a good primer for that. And, you know, really talking about fraud strategy, which is something, you know, I love to nerd out on as well. And kind of some higher level stuff. And you were talking about how you've been implementing or you've been working on implementing landmines and tripwires throughout the user journey that would be triggered by high risk activity. So not making everyone go through, you know, the the typical 
guardrails of KYC or yep. fraud prevention, but instead creating, you know, some landmines and some tripwires for people who, you know, are you know, committing high risk activity. And you were kind of in the process of doing that. It was in the idea stage, but it was starting to become into fruition. So yep. I really wanted to touch base with you. And, you know, first, can you maybe share a little, you know, about that strategy from sure. a high level for anyone that didn't listen to that episode, which shame on them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, totally ha happy to. So um, the best way to think of it is first off that this strategy is a strategy that I've developed uh, with Soups, who is the CEO of Sardine.ai. Um, so him and I have partnered very closely on kind of building out this strategy at a high level. Um, what the strategy is, is basically when we say tripwire and landmines. Um, this term really describes, for example, a tripwire could be some sort of behavior that's outside of the normal behavior that we would see a good or valid or real customer follow. So it could be, for example, a new new ID or excuse me, new device login uh, plus some particular high risk behavior like new device login goes into settings and turns off notifications, right? That's, that's a very unusual behavior for a valid customer that's logging back into their account. Right. That like it's very unusual to see if I were to log into my Spotify account, for example, I'm not going to the first thing I do when I get a new phone is turn off the settings to so that the original device doesn't get the notifications. Right. Mm -hmm. So those are examples of what we would call it a, a tripwire where we would lay tripwires down on those behaviors to where it would trigger some sort of step up or some sort of challenge to that type of behavior. So that's how we describe uh, tripwires is like we're, we're looking for indicators of things where think of them as kind of like a guardrail where when the car veers off the side of the road, they're not at the point where they're off the cliff yet, but they're kind of hugging that line. We want to push them back in to see if they're real or we want to push them out off the cliff, right? Um, and what a landmine is, is something where usually it's a behavior or an action that's so far outside of the norm of the account holder, norm of what we consider like a trusted activity or trusted device or trusted behavior that we, for example, immediately eject the login tokens we immediately like rotate the account password so like basically we kill the session on the spot but there, there's no way to get back in uh so that's like especially key for account takeovers phishing attacks etc click jacking attacks um so like we're, we're seeing some sort of behavior that's so far outside the 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 kind of the user journey the normal user journey that our our best action is actually to completely kill the session so those are kind of how we describe it describe tripwires and landmines right at a, at a high level there's you know, there's obviously multiple kind of like uh, subcategories of that, but that's the best way to describe it. Um, it's it's a very effective strategy when used effectively. So we've uh, we partnered with Sardine on a, a variety of their products, but primarily what we leverage currently Sardine for is the behavioral biometrics during onboarding, behavioral bi biometrics during some of our lending products. We 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 leverage them for issuing fraud, which is basically you know our debit card transactions on, on the platform, and then of course we uh, we leverage them for some of our KYC and compliance uh, related stuff as well. And basically on the behaviors on the behavior side in particular, it is incredibly critical to have a very good picture of what a good user looks like and what mm. a good user journey looks like. Uh, knowing what a good user journey looks like is actually more important than knowing what a bad user journey is. Mm, uh, I agree. 
Right. And so that that's, I think, a, a part of the key piece is you really need to study your user journeys. You need to understand like what is considered a normal behavior, a normal activity in an account. What's a normal transaction look like? And it's not even specific to per customer. It's actually like you can look at it even holistically from like a platform wide, right? Or company wide. Mm -hmm. What is our, you know, like ideal customer range? What is like their normal, you know, business activity? What is their normal account behavior? Um, and then you're obviously looking for uh, anomalies in in that uh, in those journeys. And so on the behavioral biometric side, you're looking for things where okay, that's kind of like what we described on the landmines and, and tripwires that that veer off past what not only the uh, account holder history would be, but also would be considered normal on your platform. So, uh, you know, we're, we're small business banking. So again, if it was a new device that logged into the account, and then the first thing that they were to do was, let's just say, add a new payee or add some sort of way to pay out a, a new account. So you have a new device, you now logged, got into the account. Uh, let's just say you went into settings and turned off your notification settings so that the original devices wouldn't get 2FAs or wouldn't get push trusted device push notifications, for example. And then they add some sort of payee or they add, let's just say, like a new payment rail in order. And then they initiate, let's just say, like a wire transfer off, right? Let's just say, right? Well, those are like, those are behaviors that are incredibly unusual in bank accounts. Uh, that you're not going to see very often. And so in those cases, you really need to apply a lot of very like tactical friction and step ups to be able to mitigate the the threat and risk. And like, is could it be a valid person? Sure. But like, if it is a valid person, they should understand why that friction exists. Because again, it's a new device and you're using, you're doing some unusual activity. Let's just say you're, you're, you're trying to push out 90% of the account balance, right? Uh, <laughs> a new login, right? These are all like key behavioral indicators that we look for. And we are, are very bullish on the fact that behavior is really kind of one of the only effective measures nowadays um, to like really have a good clear picture of uh, anomalies on your platform. There's a million ways that you can identify anomalies within transactions with like, you know, credit card mm -hmm. transactions and e-commerce. But when it comes to actually understanding like your platform behavior before the transaction ever takes place, behavioral biometrics, in my opinion, is about as good as it gets. I couldn't agree more. And I remember you know, really being blown away by behavior biometrics 10 years ago. Yep. And they've come so far since then, you know, you know that uh, Sardine did a demo for Fraudology listeners a few weeks ago, and um, we still have that recording. Uh, I think there's a link in the show notes to sign up for that if you uh, want the recording sent to you. But, you know, I was really blown away by how much data they can pick up from yep. From it, from the biometrics and the behavior, so much more than, you know, when that term was first created uh, of behavior biometrics. And I think the combination of those, you know, especially the SDK with, you know, how a phone is being held and, you know, just the gyroscope yeah. and all of that is fascinating. But I think it's also important to kind of highlight that when you were on the, you know, the podcast before, and especially part of the strategy is you're not just looking at, to your point, you're not just looking at time of transaction, right? You're aware that so much more is happening on your platform way before there's ever Correct. a debit card transaction or a wire transfer, you know, anything like that. And I think it should be the same in e-commerce as 100%. it is in banking, where you have so much data from the minute the session starts exactly until right. the checkout or all the way until, 
you know, peer-to-peer money transfer or whatever that action is. And if you're just taking a snapshot at the time of the transaction, you're losing all of that data and all of that behavior biometrics of where did they click? How did they click? How did they, you know, enter their password? Did they use two fingers? Did they use one thumb? You know, are they holding it in their right hand or their left hand? Like all of those things are so critical and you can create this really great map of how your good users behave. And then when you see anomalies, that's when you can set these up so that you're not having to go back and retroactively look at it. You're saying, hey, when these things happen, these aren't normal. We're going to map out every single, you know, type of interaction with us. And I know you guys have done that. Uh, And, you know, here are what we're going to consider tripwires, right? Here's what we're going to consider need landmines. And we know these shouldn't happen because they never do, or they almost never do with good customers. And if they do with good customers, then we don't mind them having to do more step up because it means that a the majority of our good customers didn't have to they had a first experience and b the likelihood of them being good is so rare that it's worth pushing it a little bit more you got it yeah you you you, you i couldn't have said it better myself and so you know the other part of this is really like understanding uh the user journey and understanding the behavior of your customers and what a good customer mm-hmm. versus a bad customer or a customer that's like intending to defraud you this also like starts hugging the line of friendly fraud and there's some interesting behaviors that you can look at so for mm-hmm. example every e-commerce you know company on the planet every merchant can say that like they suffer from friendly fraud first party fraud right it's one of like the the biggest loss vectors. I mean, they also the all define it differently, but of yes, course, that's yeah, a whole other, yeah, yes, that's a whole, a whole another whole five, other podcast. Five, I was gonna say five five more podcasts at least. Yes. Um, yeah, so let, let's just let's let's call it at a you know keep it at the high level. So on the friendly fraud slash first party fraud side, if let's just say someone is claiming that they had a account takeover, right, and they're claiming that yep, like I didn't authorize this charge, I want to file a charge back, whatever it may be, right, claiming it to be fraud, I didn't receive that, whatever it may be, right? Well, like having a a really good understanding of the user's normal behaviors, it allows you to very quickly identify if it is really friendly fraud, right? Mm -hmm. And just like you, I'll give you examples, like you said, well, you know, this customer, for example, um, claims that it was an account takeover, that it wasn't them that logged in, it made made the purchase. However, like this person happened to be using the exact same device using their right hand. It was in the average angle that they hold the screen of their phone, for example, it was uh, in the same geolocation. Uh, their checkout flow was exactly the same on how they click on how they identified the item. They went through, there, there's so many checks that we can go through on the behavioral biometric side mm-hmm. to say, what are the chances that an, uh, an attacker would, would have all of these behavioral characteristics that match the user, right? And the um, device, right? That's so, exactly right. Right. Exactly. And maybe that, okay, maybe they stole your laptop, but did do they type in the password the same way? They hold, you know, they exactly. Hold the same way. They do all that, and um, that may not be from a chargeback perspective. May not be, a, you know, that's a whole other conversation too about you know rules and regs and if they're up and all that. But that is helpful information to know should we fire our customer or not? That's exactly right. And it's also like how you treat the uh, the dispute, right? Do you yes. treat it as like a friendly fraud dispute or do you treat it as a third party fraud dispute, right. right? Do you, there's ways, there's different approaches that you can take on evidence for the dispute itself. And like at the bank level, at more of like the issuer level, there's ways that there's things that you can do for like liability shift reasons. Um, there's a lot of things that like, you know, and then you have like MasterCard zero liability. And so these are all like data points that are really important to help you like 
like build a case and every single chargeback is really like kind of building a case either to assist the customer in re retrieving the funds or to protect the merchant or the business in order to prevent a loss, mm -hmm. right? And so these data points are really critical. And that's that's why I think understanding good user behavior is so critical in fraud fighting. A lot of times we focus on bad behavior, on fraud, mm -hmm. on abuse, account abuse, chargeback abuse, whatever it may be, right? Um, we forget a lot about like what good behavior looks like, right? Or we think we know. And and what we found is really like triple down on identifying and, and trending what good user journeys look like and good behaviors and good activities. It becomes incredibly easy to see anomalies within those activities. Mm -hmm. I couldn't agree more. And I, it, my brain doesn't work that way to not think about the good user journeys first. I mean, exactly. When I first became, you know, in charge of a fraud department and there was nothing, you know, no program, no nothing to decide fraud, the very first thing I did was look at the data, right? What are all the good customers doing? What are all the bad customers doing? I and mean, we did not have close to as much data as we could have now. But, you know, for those people that are just looking at the device at checkout, there's so many things that can be lost because we know now that, you know, there's so many fraud cases where they're blocking JavaScript if they know that the fraud tool relies on a lot of Java, right? So they'll go in with one device yep. and then they'll add anti-detect or add blocker right before checkout, knowing that that's the only time the merchant's going to look. But Correct. if you're looking at it all the way through, and this is the same for banking, then yeah, those become blaringly obvious. And exactly. you realize too that 97, 98, you know, depending on your company and so many other factors, but high 90s are all good. You yep. know, you don't need to touch them. And that's great. You have so much more clarity, the more data you can get. You're, you're spot on. And I think that this is really important from like, a you know, almost every e-commerce platform wants the, you know, the sexy Amazon experience, which is very, you know, like they always, they, they use Amazon mm -hmm. as, a, you know, as an analogy, right? But it's basically, they're looking for that very slippery experience where you have ultra low friction, one click checkouts. That's like the ideal state for every merchant. And you're not going to get there if you're always focusing on the time of checkout, right? You're not right. going to get there. No. You need to identify during the user behavior what kind of friction you're going to apply during that checkout uh, event. So mm -hmm. I think that that's how you get to kind of like a best in class friction environment is mm -hmm. identifying what kind of friction you're going to apply to checkout before it ever gets there, right? Don't don't just run the transaction and then say, oh, okay, like it's got one data point that's you know risky, so we're gonna require some sort of like two FA step up or document verification or whatever it may be. Well, like if you're able to study that you know, user user journey and the behavioral biometrics and intrinsic uh, biometrics of that user throughout the entire journey, all the way to checkout, you're going to have a much higher confidence rate of, of that transaction being valid or not long before it doesn't matter what the IP is or what the geolocation yeah. is because of the fact that you're matching that behavior. I could also say from, you know, doing my own you know, work on user journeys as well is that there's actually a lot of indicators that you can see of what that person's intentions are. Oh, yes. Even if it's not third-party fraud. Yep. I think you were kind of touching on that earlier, but you know, it is a great tool to use after the fact, but it's also a good tool to use during the fact too, where, you know, I'll, refund fraud, for example, there are certain yep. things that someone who is placing an order with the sheer intention of claiming it didn't arrive or, you know, claiming that they returned it to the warehouse when they really just uh, manipulated the tracking label yep. and all that, their behavior, their biometric behavior and their behavior on the site 
when they're placing the order is going to be different than a good customer too. And so if you're able to track all of that, hundred percent, you know, and that's why I'm so encouraged by the newer providers that are coming on the market because they're realizing that they're yeah. realizing we can't just take, and you use this analogy on the last episode that I thought was so good. I've used it several times since where, <laughs> you know, it's like if you have just a still camera, right out, <laughs> it's pointing at your front door. And so you took a picture of somebody robbing your house. Okay. Well, I see that they robbed my house, but I don't know where in my house they went. I don't know Correct. what they stole. I don't know what they looked at first. I don't know where, you know, where I'm vulnerable. Exactly right. If they guessed where valuables were right away, or if, you know, I need to hide them better or whatever that is. I mean, that's assuming there are valuables in my house. Right. But- <laughs> no, but you're right. But, and, and the key with that though, is like now, how do you respond to that? You respond by having to rip apart your house to figure out what they stole. Right. And, <laughs> and, and, right. Right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, and it's the same thing. It's if you don't have that vision and understanding and visibility of that entire journey, like you're missing a huge piece of how mm-hmm. you respond and how you mitigate in the future. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, I like that analogy as well. Yeah. And so, you know, when we talked, you were just kind of, you know, putting that in. And I know now, you know, you've, it's been six months. So what's, yeah. you know, what's the status of that project and strategy? And what, what are some of the lessons you've learned like throughout the process? Because it is still a fairly new-ish strategy, though. Yeah. It, I hope it doesn't stay that way forever. Right. Yeah. No, I think, um, you know, I think, I think we, whenever you're developing a strategy or you're trying to come up with the, you know, a somewhat new approach, um, you know, one of the co-founders of, uh, of Novo, like what he always says is there's never a new idea. uh, There's never a new idea in fintech. Um, And so like at the end of the day, what we're doing is we're taking like kind of proven concepts and meshing them together to try to build something new, right. Or try to create some sort of new strategy. And even in fraud, like, you know, you know, biometrics, behavioral biometrics have been around for a long time. They are nowhere near like, uh, you know, they were nowhere near what they are today, 10 years ago, like we talked about before the podcast. However, like there's ways and approaches that you can take that are, are new and that you can kind of leverage the best of all technologies or best of the strategies and lessons learned. And so I think some of the lessons learned, I would say, like there are some behavioral biometrics vendors out there that are good. And I think that what's really important to have a very, and and you and I touched on this a little bit um, and uh, before the podcast when we were talking, but, you know, it's very important to have a vendor slash partner, right? That um, is really going to be able to invest that time to like kind of help you build and develop that strategy. Um, or whatever strategy strategy it is that you're trying to apply. What a lot of people will fall victim to, um, a lot of merchants will fall victim to in particular, is they will just use, like for example, like an API call, right? They'll just say, yeah, we're going to take the API, we'll, and then we'll, we'll just take the data and then we'll model that ourselves. Um, and like what I can say is that from working with small companies and very large companies and even uh, some stuff on the contracting and you know way better than I do, you have to have an insane amount of data to be able to outperform a lot of like the big network effects and a lot of like the a lot of like these companies they 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 spin up these models because they have a really expensive data science team and it's like this build versus buy concept and at the end end of the day there's only a, a small 
small subset of situations where I've seen in-house models actually like outperform, for example, network effect related models, or where there's so many data feeds coming from so many different merchants to be able to provide value. Of course, like the, you and I have talked about in the past, like I always go back to the hybrid approach where you use the best of both worlds, right? You, you have both vendors and models and you and rule engines, et cetera, and you use kind of and use them in a strategic manner. So when developing the strategy, I would say like, this is where for me, this is one of like the key indicators of why I partnered with, you know, with Sardine a long time ago, you know, like early days, one of the first customers was because of two reasons. One, who the founders are, right? Um, Zahid and Soups, and they have basically a core team, uh, Kazuki, and they've got this, this, this core team of truly like fraud ninjas, right? Like these guys and girls, especially like on the, on the OG founding team of Sardine are world-class. They have, they have built, a lot of them have built the behavioral biometrics channels or, or uh, technology at PayPal with Revolut. They've a lot of these, uh, especially on the founder side, you know, Soups is a PhD, you know, we call him Dr. Soups, right? He's, these are very smart people that have spent a lot of time on the engineering, on the data science and on the fraud side. And they have a true understanding of the technology. And so uh, it's a combination of the people that you're partnering with is really important. And number two and three, I would say are just as important is, um, is it really a new technology, right? So like in Sardine's case, they built that technology from the ground up. So the behavioral biometrics, you know, that API, that technology is 100% built in-house. They, they took all of the lessons learned from all of the companies that they worked with and all of the, you know, probably combined 50 years of experience experience that they have to build, in my opinion, probably the best uh, behavioral biometrics product on the on the market without, I have yet to see a company, the companies like to claim that they can beat them, but I have yet to see a company actually do it um, on, especially on their behavioral biometrics piece. It's really hard to do just because of what they have. And then lastly, the most important piece to me is the amount of support that you get, right? Mm. So Sardine is really, uh, you know, near and dear to my heart. And the fact that like, if I want, for example, to build a really custom strategy and leveraging a lot of different variations of their technology, I can get Kazuki on the phone, which is one of their, you know, the, the director of engineering. I can uh, ping soups. I can, I can talk to, uh, you know, in, in basically anyone in the team, if I need to be able to get backup or I want to bounce a strategy idea off them, or I want to be able to get their opinion, they make themselves available for their customers. And to me, that's really, really key. Um, I guarantee you, I would say 90% of the vendor, there's some that I would, I, I, you know, like spec, for example, you know, Nate, I can ping and do the same thing. And so there, there's vendors out there that are far better now of being, especially at like the founder leadership level that mm-hmm. are really good, right. That'll provide that level of support. But, you know, the older vendors, the, like, I think like if, I, there's a few off the top of my head that are like, you know, kind of the bigger vendors. And uh, I assure you that if I were to ping the CEO to ask him to jump on a call to talk through a strategy, not only would they probably not show up, they would probably have no idea what I was talking talking about to begin with um right so that's that's a part of the getting problem. an account manager on the phone who exactly knows what they're doing can be a challenge sometimes and i know this because i work with some of their clients exactly right yeah but exactly. i think do you think that part of that is because we're seeing starting to see a trend and i'm so grateful for this trend by the way um so i'm biased but do you think it's partially the fact that the founders are available the fact that the founders know what you know what they're doing and just that the the products themselves are exactly what we need right now. Do you think that that's a sign of the fact that the founders are practitioners? 
They were fraud fighters to begin with. I mean, whether it was on the product side or the engineering side. And so they get it from a level that like somebody else in a CEO position just couldn't because they weren't in your shoes at one point. Yeah, I think it's a little bit of that for sure, because I think a lot of the founders of companies that come from the fraud field, um, right? Just like just like Sardine, just like we, we brought up. Some of the newer companies, good. yes, but like it's all the newer the, companies. Yeah, no, no. The other companies are, you know, most of them are, are they're in it for the money. That's a business. It's a business venture. It's, you know, VC back company that really like you look at the, the leadership of founders and, you know, they may have a year of being an analyst or something, but they're not like they're not true subject matter experts or have extensive experience. And and so that's a part of it. I think also that companies are being more strategically built to solve particular use cases and problems within the industry. So like, you know, just like Sardine, like they identified a particular like gap in technology and they built for that gap. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I think Spec did something similar, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's also key where you get a different level of support. And it's also like most of these founders, especially nowadays, it's a different landscape where you have to really compete with a lot of different vendors in the market, right? Mm-hmm. And the market's much more flooded than it ever used to be. Um, you know, there was only, you know, the the big players and a couple startups and the startups were, were were sometimes great, but it was, you know, unfortunately it was just a, it was really more cutthroat. Now it's cutthroat in a different way where you have to fight tooth and nail for your, your customers and to get, you know, to grow the company. Yeah. But I think that has been a good thing for the industry because you get way more support and way more backup uh, from the leadership teams of these companies because of that. Right. It's more competitive. I mean, we know that even though you know you could draw a direct line to millions of dollars if you upgraded to a newer technology, that fraud isn't sexy, right? So there's yep. so many parts of the business that are like, but wait, we want to add all these fun, cool things way upstream. And so we're, you know, we have a fraud vendor and I think there's such a misconception that all fraud vendors are the same or they're good enough or they're very similar to each other that oh we have something in place that's fine it's kind of like having you know we have car insurance like you know it may not be the best but like it's you know it's car insurance like well you get in a car accident yeah 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 and then they cover a hundred dollars of the yes exactly right yep but you don't know that until something bad happens right and then once something bad happens it's too late or you know we're in a situation where well we don't get any engineering resources. So therefore, yeah, we can totally make a business case that we need a better fraud solution because we barely have any data coming in or, you know, we're using a pay fact that doesn't give us any of our own data, you know, things like that. But at the same time, it's like, well, our engineers are busy building, you know, new business models and and new payment methods. And so we don't have that resources. So you're absolutely right that these newer companies coming in have to be like, wait, well, we have to go a hundred steps higher, right, than what are expected so that we can, you know, be a good partner. But I think it's also just because they know what it's like to be that person that, you know, I mean, we all have had at least one night where we were, you know, on the phone till two in the morning with engineers, right? And they all know what that's like, and they don't want you to have to do that if they don't have to. So I think that's part of it. If you're a regular listener of Fraudology, you've heard me talk about SPEC. Not only does their no-code platform let you instantly assemble the fraud solutions that you need to stay ahead of bad actors, but Spec's long list of integrations is always growing, empowering you to orchestrate your data to create customized customer journeys. Spec lets you stay ahead of fraud while enabling great customer experiences for your legitimate users. 
Request your personalized demo of Specs Trust Cloud today at specprotected.com. That's www.specprotected.com. Or you can visit their website by clicking the link in today's show notes. One of the cool things, and I think it's kind of under behavior biometrics, but one of the things I wanted to make sure I called out was, you know, you mentioned that you felt like Sardine, you know, built a solution that really answered some problems, you know, within the fintech space and the crypto space. And then now, you know, the the e-commerce space that just wasn't being answered before. And one that I thought was fascinating, and this kind of goes under the behavior biometrics, but there, and maybe other companies can do this, but I don't know of any that can alert when screen share is happening, right? For victim assisted scams. Yeah. For banking and for crypto. I mean, you know, when you come from crypto, when you come from, I can't remember exactly the way Soups puts it, but like, you know, the mean streets of crypto or whatever he says, yeah. Um, you know, it's it's easy. You've got to know how to do all these crazy things. I never knew that that was possible. Isn't that cool? Yeah, it's really cool. And just that talk about landmine, you know, right. wow. Okay. Our user 100%. is, yeah, our user is having a screen share and now they just added a new payment, you know, vector to now transfer money out. Whoa, hold up. Let's blow the whole yeah. thing up. Exactly. That's the def- that's the definition of a landmine right there, right? Like we would identify that immediately. And I think that that's the kind of, the, I, I think that like that's the key with Sardine is like they've done a really good job at identifying gaps in technology. Mm-hmm. And most importantly, they've they found ways to get through a lot of like the spoofing technologies out there, right? Um, it's really hard to spoof behavior, right? It's one of the more challenging <laughs> things to yep. spoof, right? Like you well, can- As long as you can, you're, yeah. As long yeah, as your behavior biometrics uh, company is keeping up, I would say I've been disappointed. With, yeah, one or two that were really cutting edge 10 years ago and then acquisitions happened and now they're like, eh, we well, don't the pro- need to, yeah. you know, that that's frustrating. But for newer companies that are taking advantage of this newer technology, it is Correct. really exciting. And you're right, it can't be spoofed. Correct. Yeah. And it's it's really challenging. I think the um, you know, there's there's fraudsters that have gotten tried to get clever. Like we I sent soups a video of these guys that they taped, I think I brought this up to you in the past, but they taped a bunch of phones to like a PBC pipe and a toy car and ah. were rotating yeah. rotating the phones to make it look like it was moving, right? However, like that's a pattern that can be identified and it's unusual, right? Because it's gonna follow repetition and humans do not follow that kind of level of repetition, right? Right. So there's th- there's all sorts of like really and that's why it's so important to know the good behavior right um but that's that that's like i think a piece of of sardine that i give them the most credit for is like their ability to like try to stay cutting edge and like constantly trying to push the envelope and the technology that you described is really good and i think the other key piece is that um sardine tends to be in my opinion as more of a customer opinion um it tends to be a lot of like subject matter uh, subject matter expertise within the company and technology to solve really key and critical problems within a particular like fraud user journey right mm. and instead of just creating like this you know like i i know exactly what vendor you were talking about or like past behavioral biometrics vendors etc you know sometimes what they tend to do is they'll start off with a the cool technology and then 
they try to kind of make it cookie cutter and mm-hmm. then try to enter the enter the e-com market by like this one and done solution. You just plug in one API and you're good to go. And the problem is, is then you fall back in, you know, traditional, you know, fraud vendor stuff. And it's like what, you know, what kind of delineated you from the market and, uh, you know, mm-hmm. what really separated you from the pack is like that, that kind of like area of expertise and like having those niche technologies that really like set you apart and like when leveraged effectively, they are incredibly effective. Um, and so, yeah, I, I'm, I'm interested to see what Sardine continues to do, right? I've been watching them closely. I've been, you know, uh, early day customer and like they continue to uh, like, you know, innovate and create new products. And so I'm, you know, very bullish on what the future has for them. So just devil's advocate on my end, because, you know, we're fraud fighters and we are inherently skeptical. I think the challenge oftentimes that I'm, you know, given and that I have sometimes when newer companies reach out to me, right, is, well, has it been tested yet? Has it been used yet? Right. Have And I mean, obviously, at this point, starting has, you know, customers and and all that stuff now but like but when especially when they first started i i didn't learn about them until you mentioned that you were talking to them and you were really impressed and i know from our you know long-term friendship that you and i both don't get impressed very easily yeah so you know if if you're saying hey i found this company that like is small but is really fascinating and i'm interested in it i'm like let me learn more yeah um because i want to know what new technology is there right because we are continually being outsmarted especially with ai and everything else going on right now like we have to know the cutting edge that doesn't mean that you need to upgrade your you know tools every year but you need to know what's available and what's out there so that when you do have new use cases that stretch the boundaries of where of the companies that you're using now you know who to talk to or where to go or or that it exists right and so when you were, were talking with them or just with any company and they're you know newer in their you know business or just they haven't been proven yet or it sounds so good but you're like hey, is it too good to be true like what are sure. some of the things that you do to make sure or to kind of test them right to road test yeah. a vendor to make sure because you don't want to bring somebody in that's brand new and then put your reputation on the line with your execs and then go, oh, yeah, they didn't, you know, they weren't well funded or they didn't do what they said they were going to do. Yep. Or, you know, they made up a lot of shit and gave us guarantees that they knew they weren't going to be able to reach, but they just wanted to get our business, you know, all all those things that happen on a daily so, basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, no, it's a, it's a great question. So like, for, first things first, and I recommend this to every single company, doesn't matter whether you're e-com or fintech or banking, doesn't matter. One, you should never, ever, ever put all of your cards in one vendor mm. under any circumstances. Um, you should always have redundancies. You should always have failover systems. You should always have backup vendors. Like, it's just smart business. If you were to call Soups, he would completely agree with me on this. Like, you should, now you can have your favorite vendors that you run the majority of the heavy lifting through. Um, however, like we're, 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 you're never, it's never good business practice to have one partnership. And, you know, that's also just for technology issues, for, you know, DDoS attacks, for there's all sorts of reasons why things happen and like you want to make sure you have failover. So whenever you're selecting a new vendor, it's really important to make sure that you have that failover system and like those redundancies so that you can give a vendor a fair shot, but still be able to not negatively impact your user mm-hmm. journey that that heavily. That's where like a lot of like more historical testing comes in. In the Sardine case, I 
I, I actually broke my my normal mold of what I would actually like vet a company for, and it was somewhat unique. And the reason for it is this was early on in Sardines days where there was just a you know a couple employees and the founders, and you know my uh, my sales representative was Soups, my uh, marketing rep and account manager was Soups. <laughs> uh, you know the uh, like it, it was so it was a little bit more unique in that case where like I got to work early days with Soups on on like or, you know early founding days of the company and got to see like his passion and what he he like you know what he was building for and kind mm-hmm. of his vision and uh same with Zahid and you know that's one of the other founders who's their chief product officer and these guys like you know truly knew what they were doing I you know I knew Soups uh pr- like previously uh you know Will Megson was a good friend mm-hmm. of Soups back back in the day as well they you know and Soups had a really good reputation from like when he was an actually engineer and doing data science and, and all sorts of stuff and same with Zahid he had like a really good uh, background and really good like reputation and that, that mm-hmm. these guys knew what they were doing. So that pulled a lot of weight for me where it wasn't so much like, oh yeah, they were like a sales rep at a company. These guys were, you know, engineers, data yes. scientists, these guys, like they, they knew what they were doing. So a part of it was that. And then the other pieces is, is like, we were, uh, you know, I was able to test them effectively and give them a shot. And I'm also very bullish on giving kind of like the smaller co- companies, startups uh, a shot before I give big companies a shot. And the reason for it is um, they are, they, they can pivot a lot faster. They're more agile. Mm-hmm. They can, they'll, they'll listen to their customers much closer. If you give one of the big vendors feedback, yeah, they'll add it on their roadmap for 2027. And then, and then hope, <laughs> they hope, hope, hope that you drop off their customer list before they have to build it. So like, you know, that's where, that's where soups, like we, you know, I gave them feedback uh, three weeks ago and they're already building for it. So like, that's the kind of level of like partnership that you need is like is this per is this company is is this team going to really be a partner with me and like that's where sardine has proven it i've i brought them into multiple companies probably five companies now uh both from the consulting side and working with companies and make giving referrals etc and um you know and they have yet to let me down so i think that that's the piece is like they are true partners versus like a you know kind of a vendor company that like we pay a monthly bill for a service whereas like i can go with go to them with unique challenges and they'll come up with solutions. They did like a hackathon recently hmm. where they they had a bunch of the product and engineering teams come up with all sorts of new products and like they they asked me to come in to judge it and uh the ones that me and two other guys liked and girls uh that were judges liked ended up being built and now they're actually in production. So hmm. that that's the kind of stuff that to me I'm like okay like they're pushing the boundaries a lot harder than some of these other companies. And I'm not saying that the big companies are doing a bad job by by no means am I saying that. However, you're not going to get that level of you know backup and support, and um, and I think that that they've done a really good job in providing that as they grow. They had yeah. growing early on. And I think that all companies do. Um, right. And especially like they, they went through this phase really back in the day, you know, two years ago where they were growing faster than they could hire for. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's where you have struggle with like, you know, having account support and having all sorts of stuff. Right. Um, so they went through that and they went through it like, you know, uh, with their, you know, head held high, learned from it. And like now, you know, we get, we get world-class support. And I think that that's really important when selecting a vendor is like, are they going to back you up when it really goes bad? Right. right. 
right. systems are shutting down, when API keys are, are failing, whatever it may be, right? Like that's when you want to know, like, are they going to be on there? And like, I've had emergency situations in the past with where we've needed like sardine backup. And within 60 seconds, I have, you know, the, the rock stars on the call versus like we talked about the Z team from, you know, uh, a different <laughs> country. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, so I think that that's, you know, that that's all pulled a lot of weight and why I will continue partnering mm-hmm. to the future. I think it's a really good lesson for people that are listening on the vendor side. And it's an episode or a couple episodes I've been, you know, want promising to do for a while is, you know, I've done a couple on, you know, merchants are from Mars, vendors are from Venus on the sales side. Yep. Yep. But there are so many things that companies are doing to lose their current customers. 100%. And it, when that happens, it's it's absolutely ridiculous to me because you know you see the same companies spinning their wheels trying to get new sales, and you're like, but if you just answered the email or if you just you know championed for your client, if you just treated them like it was your business, right? And you yep. care about their business just as much as you care about your own business, then they would stay. Nobody wants to leave, right? But exactly, if you aren't going to innovate, if you're not going to keep up with the technology, if you're not not going to be there when the chips are down if you're if you're just going to gaslight and say well you know that was on you for the implementation or the integration piece well then okay i'm going to go somewhere else and obviously there are newer companies popping up where it's not that they're just giving you world class service because they need your business more than you know more than the bigger guys it's also because they care more right and like you said they have so many subject matter experts and you don't necessarily need a salesperson when the engineer head of engineering knows exactly how to speak exactly. your language. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. And is willing to dedicate some of his time to back you up, right? Like that's right. the piece. Right. right. And well, so- and I mean, giving poor soups a break. Luckily, he has hired some really Correct. great people so that he is not the only only person that can solve things, but that you know, they've all been, you know, trained by him and led by him. And I will be having soups on the podcast soon, but I actually Amazing. had to schedule schedule that interview two months in advance because his calendar is so man. busy. He yep. is. Yep. But you know, rightfully so. I mean, he's a legend. And I think that's, you know, one of the one of the good things of, you know, as you were talking about his reputation, I knew soups uh, by his reputation long before I met him personally yep. too. And I think that that's something to be said. I mean, obviously for his work ethic and where he worked and the way he turned around, you know, some yep. really nasty, big challenges exactly. you know, fairly quickly in, in impressive form. Uh, in his previous lives. But I also think that there's something to be said for those of us who have unique names. There's only one Carice and there's only one Soups in fraud that I know of anyway. And so, you know, that also helps with knowing people by reputation. Um, Exactly. Not to say that if your name is Matt, the people don't also. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's 27 others in the next couple. Yeah, but you're the Matt that has like the entire alphabet after your name. (laughs) I do it just to be obnoxious. Just to be obnoxious. I I don't even have my last name on there. I just have a bunch of (laughs) random acronyms. It's the least I could do. (laughs) Well, those of us who know you appreciate (laughs) <laughs> you know exactly. that it's just to be obnoxious. You're not actually that full of yourself. <laughs> that no, 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 no. It's pretty funny. I try to rotate them out just to be extra obnoxious too. So <laughs> I'm really waiting for someone to be like, "Wait, how did you get certified in that?" <laughs> I know exactly, exactly. <laughs> well it's always so much fun talking with you and I feel like, you know, there's um, so much that could still be talked about, but I'd love to end on a high note. 
some of the successful outcomes that you can share of this newer, well, not newer, but of the strategy now that you've implemented it, now that it's, you know, in production? And what are some challenges, you know, what are some things that you feel like, you know, others could learn from and be encouraged by that, you know, maybe there's things that you guys are catching that not a lot of other people are, or, you know, you aren't having to work on the weekends as much or whatever those, whatever success looks like on your end to your team. Yeah. So I think, I think the most important thing that I can give anyone is that no strategy is perfect. No technology is perfect. There's no silver bullet. You can try to get as close as you possibly can. Um, right. But there's really like, there's no one size fits all. Um, you're constantly going to have to iterate and adapt and pivot in order to be successful in not only in the industry, but in the strategy and an approach and a technology. Um, and so like going into any build into any product, like a lot of companies, companies, they're like, okay, like I'm going to implement this vendor. And like the, basically it's smooth sailing from there. No, like that's, that's like the first 10% of, right. of, of the overall strategy. Right. And so, you know, so that that's important. Like if you, uh, and because of that, like you, you should always take a systems approach to just about everything. Right. And so what the biggest lessons learned that we always get is like, when you take a systems approach and you build, uh, everything so that you can iterate very effectively, that allows you to pivot very quickly. And we've been able to very quickly pivot and add new technologies and new step ups. And some of the things that we're doing is like this approach allows us to get very creative on how we do messaging and how we do like, I can't give out too many details, but like some kind of cool stuff on anti-phishing and, um, you know, like, can the, can the users actually see who they're speaking with on the phone? There's all sorts of like fun stuff that you can kind of get into on the technology side. And that's where like building the, um, just like, you know, whenever you build a, a strategy on the fraud side or you build a, a technology or approach like build it knowing that it's going to change probably by the time it's done so if you build everything to where like it, it, you shouldn't need an engineer to be able to make a rule change you shouldn't need an engineer to make an iteration right like these are all things that need to be built into where you could just rapidly pivot and i think that that's the biggest lesson learned and not just from this project but from many projects through you know throughout our careers and i know you and i have talked about this a lot is like yeah. you everything you should do you should try to build it as the like just always know in the back of your head by the time you're done building out and implementing your strategy there's probably a new vector that's going to get around it yep um right and so just like staying light on your feet constantly pivoting push the envelope as far as you can um you know listen like from uh from an, an effectiveness like you know we we've used some very big name fraud vendors we've used some very big name uh processors and we are outperforming them all i won't give out the names to fluster any feathers but uh, um, you know, we we're, we're pretty we're pretty happy with the with the overall performance. And again, like what's cool about this technology and kind of this approach is like we're only scratching the surface, right? Mm. There's there's so much more that we can do. And you know, I so when I do my roadmap, you know, for our chief technology officer Tyler, I don't do a roadmap. I actually do a wish list. Um, and the reason for it is like I just give him a list of all of the things I want to build for, whether it's data resources, engineering, product resources, right? And I kind of like try to find a sweet spot with him on what I can get away with and what I can't. Right. right. Um, you know, but some of them, I need to steal the whole entire engineering work for six months or something. Right. Um, and so I think that, um, you know, but that's the, the, the key here is that like, I'm, we're just scratching the surface and I, you know, I can build the two years worth of, you know, wish list or roadmap ahead of us. And we're still not to where I would say is the silver bullet. So mm-hmm. that'll tell you is like, you know, don't ever think it's a one size fits all solution. If you're especially on the e-commerce side, 
uh, have multiple vendors, multiple backups, but find a technology company out there, you know, uh, preferably like a partner like Sardine, like some of the ones that we called out on this podcast mm -hmm. that have subject matter experts that like, it's not a business. They're like, they, they love the industry. They're, they participate, right? Like understand the reputation, understand what they're solving for. And most importantly, like, can they pivot with you, right. Um, right? Is it just like, you know, where you're going to give them feedback and, you know, it's going to potentially go on the roadmap years out? Or is it like something that they are going to start building for immediately to be able to solve it? Or are they going to come up with other solutions? Like we we had a unique case where I wanted to send like UDFs in their API field and like really unique, like Novo specific uh, user defined fields within their uh, within the API. And like, instead of doing that, they like came up with a much more effective workaround hmm. for me. So like there, these are the kind of things that we look for in partners. And, you know, that's where uh, I would say that's the biggest lesson learned I can give out to anyone is always take a system approach and just always plan on pivoting before you're done. It's, you know, have redundancies and backups to backups. 110%. And sometimes on the, you know, depending on who my client is, sometimes I know what the next 10 steps are going to be. Yep, you know, once exactly. we fix this one, I know what the next 10, exactly. you know, you don't have account takeover yet, but you're going to <laughs> yeah, exactly all these other exactly. little problems because yep. right now they don't need to do it, but they will at some point. So let's think about those things. Other times you don't have that luxury because you you know, are working with a company that's getting hit with the number one, you know, the first gen fraud vectors. And whenever you're dealing with money, uh, like in, you know, fintech or crypto, or even a lot of e-coms, you know, on marketplaces and everything else, you don't have that luxury of being able to know what's going to be 10 steps ahead, right? You're on the front lines now. And so having a partner that you can grow with rather than you're getting them at the ceiling, you know, exactly. first put them in is so important because you don't want to have to go to your you know, leadership two, three years down the road and say, oh, well, these guys didn't grow with us. Exactly. right. And there's a lot of lessons there for, you know, how startups and, and fintech, well, how startups on the fraud technology side need to be more diligent about their own roadmaps and their own business exactly. decisions. And I know from talking to, you know, a few of the founders of companies that have been on this side that they have been very thoughtful about yep. who they partner with from a, you know, VC perspective. That's exactly right. Who they talk to about, you know, any kind of even have a introductory conversations about any acquisition further down the road. They're not seeing that as their exit. They're not seeing that as their end. And I think that's really encouraging too. Agreed. Because I don't want to keep seeing companies be good and then be stale and then be yep. good and then be stale. So oh, Matt, this hour flew by so fast. I knew it would. It did. Um, but thank you so much for stopping by and for you know giving us an update on how all that's working and also sharing some tips on you know vendor selection and why you're so pro sardine and i know you know one of the things about you and i being so picky about companies is once we do find one that meets our our bar our very high bar we are big champions for them yep agreed uh, because we know that they have met that high bar correct uh, and your stamp of approval is very, very difficult to get. And so, Agreed. but that's also why you are always willing to hop on and sing, you know, their praises because they have met your expectations. Absolutely. Well, I really appreciate you uh, having me on, Chris, and looking forward to listening to all the future podcasts and hanging out with you again in the future. Thanks so much. Me too. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. 
you again to Sardine for sponsoring this episode of Fraudology and for supporting information sharing and collaboration across the fraud fighter ecosystem. You can learn more about the team and their mission at Sardine via the link in today's episode description.